Hello and welcome to Molding Masculinity. I'm Tom McFarland. I'm here with Philip Sipe, and today I want to talk about Mountain Dew Arita, which is apparently a thing that Red Lobster has, and I just learned about it before this episode, and I'm concerned. Okay. <laughs> that that is not I, what we're talking about. <laughs> no, but now I want to know what it is. What is this? It, it is exactly what it sounds like. It is Mountain Dew. It, it is a margarita of Mountain Dew that was apparently a thing that Red Lobster had during COVID-19. And so you had to order it to go. And when you ordered it to go, apparently they often put it in a Ziploc baggie. So you just got a Ziploc baggie of Mountain Dew and tequila. Uh, cool. Yeah, and looking, looking it up, that is a real thing for some reason. <laughs> Capitalism's gonna capitalism, I guess. It's, uh, it's um, like no one asked for this, no one wanted this, but we made it anyway. <laughs> but no, what we're actually talking about today uh, is vulnerability, and we're going to share some stories uh that we have about our own kind of unpacking some complicated, uh, long-held ideas that we had in our at at, at some point, and uh, it's a vulnerable thing to talk about. Um, I think on my end, I know the thing I'm going to talk about definitely is just a thing that I kind of struggle wanting to put all the way out there, um, and I'm guessing I think that's kind of the same place you're coming from. Yeah. Uh... In in some ways, in other ways, like the, the thing I'm going to share is something that I've shared on the regular, but um, you know, I've mentioned it a few times in the past. But specifically, I want to go about it in a space that is more um, vulnerable in the sense of sort of exposing some um, emotional aspects of of it and my experience there. Um, and sort of, you know, going to be an exercise and being willing to, to, to talk about those things and, and share them and, you know, risk the feedback of both uh, you and the internet. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, very much the same on my end. Um, uh, so would you like to begin? Sure. So you know, my exercise and vulnerability today is going to be um, talking about um, my experience coming out of uh, <clears throat> evangelical Christianity. Um, not what I'm not going to do today is present a series of anti-apologetic arguments. Um, that was certainly something that was an aspect of my journey out of it, but is not really central to the thing I want to talk about today. My, what I want to talk about today is more like my, the emotional experience of, of arriving there and then the sort of subsequent, you know, journey and fallout and, and all that stuff. Um, and just sort of share what that's like, uh, what was like from my perspective. Um, so I'm not going to be sitting here, you know, telling you for an hour you know why i i personally find the um you know logical arguments for christianity unconvincing or whatever um it's going to be more about like what it felt like to go through that process 
So, yeah, no, I think that's valid. Um, and, and I think we probably have some shared experiences with this and probably some also very different experiences. Cause I, I grew up around a lot of Christianity, but I, my parents didn't like force me into it at all. Like, yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't have quite as close of a relationship with it as you do. Yeah. So roughly to give people the background of, um, you know, where my history was, I was, um, you know, I, I'm sure we could, you know, nitpick about the philosophical, you know, point at which a person is sufficiently experienced to label themselves as a X or a Y, uh, you know, give, you know at, during their childhood or whatever. But for the sake of brevity, uh, for the first um, 20 uh, it's hard to even remember at this point, but I want to say like um, 25-ish years of my life, um, I was a um, evangelical Christian um, and was like very, very um, um, passionate about, um, you know, spreading the word and, uh, you know, getting people to believe in Jesus and uh, dedicate their lives to him and stuff like that. Um, all the typical evangelical Christian stuff. Um, I won't bother, you know, going into deep detail about all the views that that often entails or the views that entailed in my specific cases, explore it's relevant, but um, suffice it to say, um, you probably have some roughly accurate packet uh, package of ideas around what sort of beliefs and behaviors and stuff that entailed. Um, and I periodically, um, <clears throat> I went most of that time, um, not really sort of questioning the foundation of that, um, but I did certainly have plenty of, you know, moments of like, oh, I'm not sure I really understand this or, you know, trying to come up with rationalities for uh, one thing or another about it um, and so you know I say that and still as of the time of recording uh, have the majority of my life has been spent uh, from that perspective um, so uh, I mentioned a long time ago in a previous episode of this uh, the idea of um, big ideas that you have in your head being like trees that you can cut down and even maybe pull the stump out but you may still find bits of root laying around your mind as you explore and still to this day as i think about things every now and then i pick out of things like oh here's a little bit more of conservative christian ideology left in my head from that tree um <laughs> and so it's still an ongoing process i'm sure it'll be an ongoing process the rest of my life um but anyway uh, that's the background of it is um, I grew up in it. I was that way for a long time and I was very um, passionate about furthering that mission. Um, I did not, I was not a, um, a, um, what do you, like an Eastern Christmas Christian, you know, um, it was every day, sometimes multiple, or not every day, but every week going to church, sometimes multiple times a week, if there were youth events or, um, you know, college events or whatever, um, you know, 
uh, I, I uh, went to various like uh, youth retreats and stuff like that. Uh, at one point I even like was uh, like went forward at a big youth retreat saying that I wanted to be a church leader one day and maybe even like a minister or whatever. Um, that didn't pan out, uh, <laughs> but you know, um, that's that's roughly the background. I, I don't know how much you want me to get into it before we discuss a little bit or whatnot, but that's kind of the the foundation of where 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 I kind of grew up in. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, it's never too late to start a cult. Um. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> now, this cult's long started, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, no, we had, uh, yeah, kind of different uh, experiences in that. I Now, I was surrounded by, ex like, my grandmother was extremely religious, Pentecostal, um, and all of that. And she tried to, you know, make me into the, that, that kind of a, like, quote-unquote good Christian. Um, I never, yeah, like, I, I, okay, I, I, I think most of my time in church was spent in vacation Bible study uh, in the summer just because that was a thing to do. Um, one thing that actually kind of recently when we talk about emotional stuff and I'm, I'm kind of wondering, I, I, I kind of want to pry a little with this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I recently saw a TikTok, and, and, and okay. A slight aside. Um, I feel like as a deep, serious, uh, podcast, it may seem a little odd that we, I bring up TikToks, but we meant, or I think you shared one uh, recently a post talking about surface level information and then deep level information and the value of surface level, like quick to process information. And I think TikTok is super valuable for some of that. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not a hater of TikTok. Anyways, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sidetracking. Um, I, I saw this TikTok and it was a uh, former youth pastor, specifically band leader in a church. And he was talking about how he kind of had his journey as an ex-evangelical, uh, as a former evangelical. Uh, and where that really kind of began with him was one day uh, he was, if I remember right, it was that he was listening to someone else play piano um of a uh non-christian song uh, the word for that escapes me at the moment um but it, he had an emotional reaction and it occurred to him that the reaction he would the extremely emotional tears in his eyes reaction that he was having was the exact same reaction that he had during worship service and it was like a sudden connect the dots of like that feeling of elation and joy and um, just it's, it's hard to explain. But that just that that massive euphoric rush as uh, the serotonin hits your sin synapses wasn't it wasn't necessarily and this is something where like I do have a. Like I have an element of faith, so, so some of this a little bit collides with some things that maybe I'll talk about here later, later in this episode. But uh, it wasn't necessarily the spirit of God. It was music. It was the fact that he loved music and that the two things weren't necessarily tied together. And that allowed him to kind of break that link. And then he became a composer and it like, you know, jump started his creative uh, outlets because 
of that kind of disconnect of realizing that the joy he was getting, like he was trying to chase that joy in the wrong place uh, because it was kind of like this, well, man, I never get the, like, I can't get it because he wasn't chasing music. He was chasing uh, this kind of religious experience. Yeah. I mean, I certainly had something <clears throat> like that. Um, both, you know, deeply emotional experiences associated with um, religion and as well as sort of an epiphany moment that kind of snapped me out of it. Um, but like, you know, I had experiences of, you know, believing that, um, you know, <clears throat> God talked to me and said for me to do certain things. Um, and, um, you know, those are very real for me at the time. And I totally like, I, I, I'm not the kind of person who, um, sort of like, you know, sort of casually hand waves that sort of thing away. Like those, ex those emotional experiences are very personal to someone, um, uh, you know, if, if that's a thing that people are questioning or whatever, like I've certainly like I, the way I process my own experience with that is as a, you know, understanding that the brain sometimes makes it so that you, um, you know, sort of like your ability to talk to yourself, for example, being like, you know, sort of like a super version of that. Um, but uh, without getting into that, I don't want to get into, you know, whether or not, you know, talking to God is real or whatever, like the, um, I did have experience like that. Um, my sort of moment of like, oh, oh, snapping out of it was, I was talking to a friend of mine um, at work um, who, um, very patient person, uh, endured me and all of my, uh, attempting to to you know figure it out and and uh bounce things off of him uh he was an atheist as a christian and we had been discussing stuff for a long time uh because we got along really well in general uh and i think for both of us it was really compelling discussion that we were both kind of approaching from not from the perspective of like we both kind of wanted the other one to be or like we both kind of wanted to know if the other one was right. Um, and so it was a very productive discussion. So like even like very challenging things were not met with like, you know, anger or you're, you know, the bad person that's going to the bad place or whatever. Um, it was like, oh, well, here's what I think about that. And, you know, kind of exchanging. And, and it was, um, I had laid out some, set of things you know like oh you know i don't really think like this or this or that that was like a at this point was like a typical evangelical christian answer it's like i think this 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 um and he just looked at me without any like condescension or anything it's like well i mean i don't see anything wrong with that it's just like it's not the god of the bible <laughs> and i was like and he was like, you know, if we're in the business of making up our own gods, you know, then 
I'm sure there's a one that could be made up that's, you know, you know, acceptable or, you know, even possible, you know, or likely. Um, but I just don't, you know, have any re way to sort that out from any other, you know, seemingly acceptable God that anyone else could make up. And it was like this moment of like, oh no, like I've arrived at a point at which like the God that I believe in isn't the God that I grew up with. And I don't have any attachment to this. It no longer was attached to this larger tradition, this type of thing. It was like, suddenly now it was just like, oh, I'm just making this thing up. And then it was like, oh, right. Um, and that was kind of my, I, I basically went home in kind of a, like a silent uh, internal panic. Um, it wasn't really like panic, but it was, I, I did have that kind of like frenziedness to it. And that like, I went home and started like Google searching a lot of stuff um, and trying to like find answers to certain things. And just everything I read, it was just like, this just I isn't convincing to me. Like, this is a bad, you know, this is a, a bad way of doing this or a bad, you know, either, either it was not right, you know, like sort of like fallacy or, you know, bad reasoning, or it was just like deeply unconvincing to me. It was just like trying to, uh, you know, make it into, like, it was very, I, I was, I was, it was a mixture of, um, actually, <laughs> probably the closest emotional thing to it was um, the call of the void, um, which is a, the translation of a French term. That's like that sensation that one has when you're like, if you're at the, if you're at the Grand Canyon and you have that like weird urge to jump. Um, it was like a call of the void in which I got to jump. And I did, but like, then didn't die. <laughs> um, it was like deeply, deeply scary, but exciting and exhilarating and terrifying. And uh, I was like a mixture of sad and afraid and happy and relieved in ways that I didn't fully understand or process at the time. Um, it was a net positive experience, but it was certain, it was one, there's a lot of, feeling like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders in a way, but not, um, but there was a, a, certainly a background of like, you know, this sort of looming specter of like the way in which this was going to cascade through the rest of my life. Um, and so, but I remember sort of like, after like reading like the 15th thing that I had Google searched and tried to, you know, do to like make it work and just like never, never writing in a place that felt satisfactory. I just kind of like remember like sitting back in my computer chair and just being like, I don't believe this anymore. Now what? <laughs> um, and that was, um, you know, sort of the next step in this, in this whole journey. But I don't know if you had any, questions or comments about that segment or whatever yeah no that's um i think that's very it, it, it's interesting and i have some yeah i have some like shared experience in that but also also not like my i never i don't i don't i never felt like i had that void but i also never truly committed myself to any type of faith even to this day like my sense of faith is 
not directionless by any means. Like I'm very confident with it. I'm very comfortable with it. Um, but it's not that it just has never established those kind of roots um, for better or worse. So for me, like in college, I uh, took a world religions class that very much, I, I would say from an academic point of view, opened my mind, opened my, yeah, opened my mind because I mean, like I always, uh, I knew of the Pentecostal church and I knew of the Assembly of God church and I knew other things existed like First Baptist, but I didn't know what that meant. Uh, and that was kind of the extent of my like religious knowledge. Like I knew, of course, Catholicism was out there. I mean, like I knew all of the stuff was out there, but like, like I had, I didn't meet a cath, I didn't meet a person who was Catholic until I was in my late, like mid twenties. Um, uh, my first girlfriend ever was a Catholic. <laughs> that was uh, an interesting experience. Yeah, and and so like in this world religions class, I well the first thing that was just a shocking revelation to me was learning the the connection of the Abrahamic religions, right? Learning how uh, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam were all tied together just blew my mind because I would you know been kind of grown up seeing these things as like completely contradictory things and understanding them as like more of a linear historical progression and uh, all of these kind of intertwining elements just I, that like was a mo that took a lot of processing for me and I think that kind of was the first thing where I was just like oh oh all of these like and that was like the first time I really it sunk into me an understanding of how deeply important faith was to everyone of all faiths, right? Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, the same way that all of the elders in my life look to Christianity, other people of other faiths look to their faith in that same kind of a way. And it gave me like respect for that. And I, that I still to this day have a deep, I have a deep respect for other people's faiths, even though I don't gen like, because of my own very niche little ideal ideas in faith, I don't share anyone's faith, but I have a deep respect for it. And specifically I have a respect for where it kind of comes from. And like what you just described this like emotional thing. And, and that was even what I was talking about earlier. Like, you know, one of the things that like, I have a bit of a hard time, like in talking about that, I share that experience of this band, this band guy went through in that when I was a little kid, I remember, looking out of the this is such a niche weird little thing but i remember looking out of the window of the car up at the moon and the stars and in the ozarks like you know out on like i-44 it, it, it was dark as fuck like you know in like well, forget i-44 out on like highway five like on highway five if you pulled over to the side of the road and turned off your lights you wouldn't be able to see your hand in front of your face so i would look up at these stars and i could see the milky way and everything else and i remember having this just indescribable feeling and you know that, that i think everyone gets when they look up at the, in the, at the stars and i had this oh this must be god this must be like looking at the night sky i was like this is god and it was later in learning more about astronomy that i came to an understanding of like oh this isn't god this is science taking those feelings apart, I kind of at first I got this very rejective idea of like, oh, religion is just tricking people into feeling this kind of a way about, but now as an adult later on, 
I look at it differently. And I see those things as, no, I do think that is God. I think all of those overwhelming feelings or even underlying feelings we have about nature, I, for me personally, is the thing that I have faith in. That is the creative force of life, the existence of our life, that the existence of the things that we take in during our life, that is God. But it also is science and biology and astronomy and the the mm-hmm. insane <clears throat> beyond our scope comprehension of both, you know, so in my galactic in my... astronomy and of molecular knowledge. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and I, I was just gonna say in in my frenzy of research about different ideas, you know, uh, this this is actually uh, I, I I've come to find a certain pattern in thinking about things in this space that. Um, so going all the way back to when I was like a, te- a young teenager, maybe like 12 or 13, I was had a friend who was a non-believer and I was trying to think of ways to convince him to believe in Jesus. And I came up with this uh, argument that I thought was like really, really smart. I was like, oh, so, like this is good. I can't believe no one's told me, said, thought of this before. I was like, the thing is, if he believes and comes to church then he either goes to heaven or like there is no afterlife and and that's all you know it doesn't matter or if he's if he doesn't then it's either like the void or hell so like really it makes more sense to believe just as like you know it gives you the best possible outcomes which is and, fundamentally something the bible warns us against doing but we all also do sure, in christianity so, we all do it but so, the bible is explicitly like don't do that <laughs> uh so well so my experience of that was actually even worse than that which was uh i was all excited and i went up to him and, you know the next chance that it, you know it came up that discussion and i presented this thing and he just looked at me and was like oh pascal's wager <laughs> and i went what and i realized this super genius thing uh that i thought was super smart and original and had never been thought of and was very niche and and, and unusual to me was uh in fact someone that someone had thought of hundreds of years ago and was so famous it had a name uh <laughs> which was very embarrassing at the moment uh and i've since found this like pattern of like thinking so like you know you're the way you're talking about it and i'm sure that yours has a particular set of nuances no one you know uh, we used to say when i was a christian um if you want uh, to find uh, a different idea about who God is and what he is and how he works, just uh, turn and ask the person next to you in the pew. Um, so like everyone has their own sort of like texture and nuance to it, of course, but like broadly speaking, it sounds like you're describing a sort of pantheism. Um, the idea is like nature and God are sort of one and the same. This is kind of like, a, I think famously like Einstein or uh, was or Spinoza were kind of in this realm of, um, you know, God and nature kind of being like a, both the same thing in a way, you know, having this sort of spiritual aspect to the recognition of nature. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but so, you know, the sort of next step of the whole thing was a the most terrifying part of the journey and it was the uh and now what part of my epiphany moment um and here's where i think 
is actually the part that I'm most embarrassed about um, because it took me a long time to figure out what was going wrong for me here. Uh, and finally, I, I heard a quote that kind of sums it up pretty well, which is, you know, I said, like I said, I was an evangelical Christian. And you think of those things as inherently tied together because they're always mentioned together. Um, but the reality is, and this is the quote, is that I became a, a, I stopped becoming a Christian before I stopped becoming an evangelical or a fundamentalist. Um, and so, of course, uh, due to a mixture of naivete and carrying my evangelicalism forward into my atheism, it was, um, I got to tell everyone about this. <laughs> um, which it's one thing to have a long series of discussions and wanting to explore something that you're interested in and you're passionate about with another friend who is interested and passionate about is willing to field contradictory ideas and go back and forth and have all that journey. It's another thing to show up <laughs> to a friend and say, um, hey, I don't believe this anymore and we need to talk about it. <laughs> um, certainly some people in my life you know, wanted to to some degree, um, but it became very obvious that um, it was out of a sense of obligation rather than a sense of true desire. I think a lot of people were like, oh no, this is bad. He's going to go to hell. Like, let me try to convince him. And then when it didn't, you know, when they presented me usually with some regurgitated point that they had heard someone once say that was really convincing to an atheist and, you know, is actually something that atheists have heard millions of times. <laughs> Uh, and a super unconvincing um, doesn't fail to convince me there was this moment of frustration and um, hostility that suddenly appeared that was really an indication, should have been an indication to me of, I didn't really want to have this conversation. I just felt like I had to have it. Um, and so that process did a lot of damage to some of my close interpersonal relationships. Some of them recovered. Uh, one of my friends who I really, uh, you know, harmed my relationship with him for a long time. We have been friends for an extremely long time. It recovered um, and kind of bounced back and we, we got to a, a healthy place and actually he ended up also <laughs> coming out of it, but uh, actually due to a completely separate thing that has had little, little to do with me as far as I know. Um, but um, uh, the places it really hurt was my relationship with my parents, which to this day is incredibly strained. Um, and I and, and uh, <clears throat> I lost a couple of friends over it, um, which I think is. I think in all of those cases was a mixture of me not me being too aggressive and then being too, you know, black and white with who they could associate with type of thing. I, I don't like necessarily put it all on myself either, but certainly uh, I could have handled it better. Uh, um, the one, the most difficult one um, was um, my wife at the time we, you know, this, at some point, this was a, a moment of news I had to announce to her. 
and it's really difficult figuring out the right moment to that. And uh, um, it's one of those conversations where you have this romantic idea of like, there will be a right moment where it comes up naturally. And you're like, actually, and, you know, I've been meaning to tell you this, but, but this is something. And then we'll have a really, you know, good, warm discussion uh, and it will be bad. Um, and then it exploded um, instead because like, you know, when you're figuring out how you want to go about this, the only thing you can do in the meantime is continue to act like nothing's happening, which of course means going to church, taking your kids there. But now suddenly seeing my, at the time, you know, infant son sitting in a little baby Bible class, then dancing little toys saying like, uh, you know, you know, talking about like, I will obey, obey, obey. It was like suddenly very dissonant. Um, and, you know, I just was like, I, I don't like this. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I was wanting to like sort of take him out of it. Uh, and, you know, of course, then it was like, well, what's wrong? Why is this, you know, what's going, what's going on? What's going on? Uh, so it kind of ended up happening at one point. Um, fortunately, um, I am blessed to be married to a very uh, um, wonderful person who was willing to, despite not uh, necessarily having, you know, being in that space in a in a easy way uh, of like, you know, at, at a at a at her own pace, perhaps. Um, getting into the space of questioning that kind of thing, understood that given that we were together and that we had a child and uh, the circumstances surrounding that and we were going to have to figure out whether or not we were going to have to raise him in some kind of shared ideological space or, you know, um, took, the, took the resolve with me to... Um, sort of try to figure it out together to like actually sit down and like, let's, all right. Like basically the system we came up with was um, she'd propose a book and we'd read it and process it and do like a little reading group, you know, book club together. And then I propose one, we kind of go back and forth and discuss things until we either realized that we were never going to agree and we could figure out some kind of balance or um, we did agree. Um, fortunately, the way that worked out was uh, we read her one book and then she got to the end of it and basically said, this isn't convincing to me. <laughs> so <laughs> I ended up thinking I was going to have to sort of like drag out all this like research and stuff that I had done. And then she just like kind of looked at me and was like, I don't think that this is true. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of lucked my way out on that one, to be perfectly honest, because um, if it had gone even half as bad as... Um, the conversation with my parents went, um, then who knows what my life would look like right now. But um, it was really scary. It was this weird sort of, um, I think perhaps the thing that hurts the most about it is the fact of like, I went around to everyone feeling the need to go tell everyone because I always wanted to be honest with people and be authentic with them. And for the people that I was close to, I felt they needed to know this about me. Um, 
And what I didn't want was to exist in every family gathering as the guy who's secretly distant and doesn't want to talk about anything for no apparent reason and just like randomly one day stopped being connected to everyone. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to be willing to put myself out there, have the hard conversation, get to a spot where, you know, we can be better and then we can have an authentic relationship. And instead I arrived at exactly the place that I was going to, that I arrived, that I was afraid I was to arrive, I was going to arrive at, which is being that person. Um, not because, uh, um, of having to keep my atheism a secret, um, but instead because um, the conversation was so um, unwelcome in that space, in the space with my family, um, that there was no, um, you know, it was a, uh, we're just not gonna talk about religion or politics anymore, was the thing. Well, you know, that seems like a fine line to draw in theory, but then, you know, you start going to family events and they start being like, oh, what's up with you? Uh, well, <laughs> you know, when a huge segment of my life is, I spent the entire weekend uh, tabling for the political <laughs> uh, organization that I founded and helped work for. Um, how do I answer that question without bringing up the thing I'm not allowed to bring up? So you end up saying, like, oh, it was fine. Like, you know, I had, we went to some event and had some fun. And they can tell by how vague you're being that they shouldn't push further if they don't want to cross that line, you know. Um, but the whole thing feels as superficial as I was afraid it would feel in the first place. And so, you know, here we are having had a big, ugly, knockdown, drag out argument about it in which, you know, really hurtful things were said to me. And, um, and I ended up in the place I was trying to avoid ending up in anyway, which sucks a lot. Um, you know, I even, you know, think about like, you know, like even innocuous questions, like how's work going? What do you like about work? Well, I mean, like, what I actually like about work, to be perfectly honest, is the fact that uh, my manager is a pretty hands-off guy. He gives me some stuff to do and I do that stuff. And as long as it's not like, as long as I'm not like dragging my feet or anything and I'm getting stuff done in a reasonably timely manner, like I don't get checked up on a lot and don't have interfered with. Like that in and of itself is like a, a kind of political statement about the way that work should be and what I like about it. It's like, how can I talk about anything? Like when you're someone like me who thinks that there is politicalness tied up in almost every aspect of daily life, like how do you have any conversation that isn't incredibly superficial? How do you talk about anything but the weather? Uh, and then, and then it's like, well, you know, we noticed that you've been, you know, really, you know, distant and, you know, whatnot lately. And it's like, well, you know, I don't know what to say. You don't want to have the argument. Um, 
I'm not even sure the argument would be productive because in my experience so far, the things that I say don't stick because you go back and drown yourself in tons of, you know, evangelical and right-wing propaganda. And uh, so, you know, we have to I have to go back and redefine all the terms that you've been given a, a bad definition of. And anyway, uh, point point being like, like it, there's no there's no winning because we can't have the argument because the argument will never make progress uh for a variety of factors and we can't uh so and and you know the the only other option is to constantly have heated arguments as opposed to cold arguments which isn't really better uh and you know basically it's like i can either have a distant relationship or I can have no relationship is, is roughly the thing. And like, when you get asked the question, you know, you know, the sort of probing question of like, well, you know, why have you been so distant at family stuff or whatever? It's like, cause I'm trying to not burn this relationship to the ground, <laughs> but you can't say that either because that is also starting. So you have to give some dishonest answer of like, oh, you know, I'm just, uh, just feeling a little weird today or something, you know, like you give some, bullshit answer and then you know come up with another bullshit answer the next time they have the the wherewithal to to even ask um it's a really it's a really rough situation um i, I don't know that in some there's some cases of this that i feel like i could have handled it better and would have done a lot less damage there's some cases that i think it was kind of fucked from the beginning and there are some cases in which like it turned out well and i wouldn't have done it any other way so it's kind of a mixed bag um it was more like a force of nature just blew through my social network uh, and just completely reconnected connections to, to everything. Uh, so it was, it was a weird cascade of effects. You know, I think that's a very valid place to feel at, to be at. I think that's a place that a lot of people feel at with their family, specifically more conservative or center, quote, unquote, leaning family members. Of course, you know, folks who are LGBTQ and have came out to their family, I, I, I've heard a lot of very similar kind of things about like, well, I'm not allowed to talk about any element of my relationships or, you know, friends or life or anything so it's like why don't you talk more about yourself it, it well because anything i say is considered political because you consider anybody who isn't cis and straight a political topic so that removes me from being able to talk about my life in the religion sense well if any if you're a religious and political sense of if any of this stuff you're gonna see is political um, I can't talk about any of this or to me it is political so therefore I can't talk about it and it's I and I'm it's something that actually and I, I hope I'm not going on too much of a tangent here but it's something that I actually very much worry about and that and I don't mean to say that this is like new it's obviously not a new thing but I think it is something very endemic to our culture and society in America that is a sort of social fascism and I know that the F word is a, you know, fascism is a difficult word to throw around. But what I mean by that is in the strict sense of there is only really one correct paradigm or hege hege hegemony of ideas, thoughts, and like, God, ugh, I hate talking about this because I end up 
because I mean, like one of the frustrating things was that like right wing podcasters and media stuff will talk about this exact same. Well, there's only one right way to believe things in America and anything else isn't PC. But I mean, the people complaining about PC are also the exact people who will sit there at Thanksgiving dinner and tell you that if you talk about your significant other or if you talk about your relationship, like your preferred work relationship with your boss, that you're being political and you need to stop talking um, because your politics, quote unquote, clash with theirs and they are not willing to allow other quote unquote politics at their table um, because they're not able to have open discussions and reasonable just acceptance of, oh, yeah, no, I disagree with uh, Uncle Philip, but you know what? That's fine. I'm having turkey right now. I don't need to worry about that. It, there's there's, not, there's just a disconnect in that, and I think that is something that is incredibly toxic, and by existing within our social frameworks of our families, it feeds into our political frameworks and our larger frameworks. Yeah, it's the power of normal. It's the power, <clears throat> this this ability to to package up a certain set of ideas as normal, and being the normal things to talk about, allows you to put allows some people, you know, the people who are fine with that normal, that version of normal, to just go and exist in all kinds of spaces, most spaces, and not have to worry about basically anything. Um, you know, they can even sometimes do the same things. They could complain about their boss, right? That, that's a normal thing to do. Oh, my boss really ride me, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, and there's a sense sometimes that if you do that, because they know where you're coming from on that, now it's political. So there are some things you can't do that are normal because people know the way in which you're not normal. Um, and also just like, I think the, 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 the biggest power of it all is that they just walk through the landscape of conversation and conceptual space willy-nilly around just kind of like having all kinds of stuff cordoned off. And we don't think about this, we don't think about this, we talk about these kind of things. Like, and they, like it's just like there, it's just to them a feature of reality. And what you see is that they are it, it like and, and the same navigation for you is like walking through a minefield and you're sitting here dancing around mines and trying very carefully to like not step on anything not cause any disruption because once you do it's your fault it's your job to navigate the minefield i'm normal i'm going through the normal stuff and it's your job not to step on any of those mines and then you know of course, the reaction to this is always like, oh, I'm going to attempt to walk through this area as little as possible, have as little conversation, um, as shallow as possible, and to have the conversations I have be as shallow and surface level as possible. You know, um, I talk about the kids and they're doing good at school and I'm so proud of them and, you know, the kind of things that are the normal stuff that I can still pretty safely talk about without it being interpreted as political and, you know, that's the constraint that I operate under and anything else I have to very carefully dance around. And the worst part is it's never appreciated. No one's like, hey, thanks for you know making family Thanksgiving turn out nice and pleasant and fightless. 
by absorbing all the microaggressions of little nit, you know, things that people just get to throw out there and you're expected to not respond to because that's you being political and that kind of statement is considered normal, even though it's like an expressly political thing. And now, you know, uh, or because, you know, oh, that's just how Uncle Jimmy or whatever is, you know, and no one is ever like, hey, thanks for that. <laughs> I recognize that you're doing difficult emotional labor and I appreciate you doing that for the sake of the family. It's like, it's just expected. And if you don't do it, you're the bad guy. Uh, and then they wonder why you don't want to be around. <laughs> it's like, because yeah. I don't want to do a bunch of extra work today. Uh, yeah. But anyway. And uh, from from the point of view of it also, something I struggle with, and maybe this is being, being a little judgmental, but I from... I, I can't even I struggle to accept that way of interacting with family from the point of view of that way of interacting with family. Everyone I enjoy interacting with, I enjoy interacting with because we have this open platform of we talk about wild like we talk about that kind of like all of the things that are landmines, whether they're things I disagree with or not, are the things I want to talk about. That's interesting to talk about to me. Um, yeah. My, you know, and I mean, maybe this is a little unprofessional, but my manager, like my direct supervisor in my workplace is somebody who I, I have some agreements with, but I also have some pretty strong disagreements with. And we kind of start off every morning just immediately diving into some extremely massively political or like social issue. And we just like, you know, we, we immediately jump directly to talking about politics and religion. Um, and I love that. It's one of my favorite things, like favorite parts of the workday. Um, and we disagree a lot of the times. Um, we're not having, and now when I say this, it's not like a, we're not doing a um, debate. We're not debating one another, but we just discuss it from our own points of view. And it's, it's just interesting. Like we're both keyed up about something and we'll talk about it. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to go process your take. And you know what? Sometimes I come back and I'm like, your take was bullshit. Um, we're not going to go any further than that, but it just is. I like talking about that, even with people I fundamentally disagree with. And this is one of these things is like, you know, there is a lot of uh, people who ascribe to this type of framework of interacting with family who will say, well, you're the, also the problem because you don't want to engage with us on those because they've been convinced by Fox News that it's, oh, all of the liberals don't want to talk about this stuff. And it's like, no, I am... 100% okay to talk with you re rationally, reasonably. I'm not going to debate you because we're trying to have Thanksgiving dinner. I'm not interested in debating whether or not police should murder black people. But if you want to bring up the most recent situation and let's talk about it from our own perspectives and then maybe nod and well, I don't agree with you, but okay, fine. I'm cool with that. I actually am. Like, that's a normal thing I do with people every day. I promise most of my leftist friends, we don't see eye to eye on these things either. And we talk about it. We often disagree and we often go our own way. It's like, for, on, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, the, I, think, I think the key difference in a, in a lot of cases is um, they attach stakes to it that are completely 
like that are weapon emotional weapons um I, like in the topic of religion especially given like being an atheist and talking to a christian who is you know that conversation was hard after my grandfather died it became impossible after you know as as you know because fundamentally <laughs> once my once my parents parents died or some of them died now the stakes couldn't anywhere even be like a we're going to talk about what's going to happen to us personally now it was like if i win i'm killing their their dad all over again which is like not fair um but it's obviously part a stake in the conversation and there's no um it, there's no sense in which like that's the outcome of the potential outcome of someone being wrong in this space. Um, and we're gonna accept that and like, you know, if that needs to be processed, it needs to be processed for sure. But like, there's no sense of like, we're not gonna shoot the messenger here. Um, they absolutely shoot the messenger and the messenger's you. And so it's like, well, yeah, okay, we don't, we're not gonna have a conversation, right? Because like, I'm not gonna sit here and like have a conversation in which like, if I make a good point, everyone in the room bursts into tears. That's not a real conversation. That's, that's, I have to lose or else I make my mom cry. And to no one's surprise, I don't wanna have that conversation. <laughs> It's not, a, I, I've ha, I have had all kinds of productive and very valuable and enriching conversations with people who I fundamentally disagree with about things uh, as evidenced by the fact that I did that for like a year with another human being and eventually changed my mind about it. So like, obviously I can have that conversation in a way that doesn't, you know, ruin a friendship, but like it can't, it can't, the stakes can't be literally life or death. Um, or if, even if they are like, they have to be one in which like that blame is not put at the feet of the person who's telling you about it, you know? Um, and so this is something I, I actively still have no idea how to effectively handle. It feels like a, a sort of looming specter over the whole thing that like, I, keep crossing my fingers and hoping every time like today is not the day that it comes to roost and I actually have to deal with this um maybe that's bad maybe I and, and like that's the that's where the self-doubt comes in it's like maybe that's bad maybe I should have it out now instead of letting maybe this is like a tumor and I'm letting it fester and like the longer I take the worse it will be when it finally explodes maybe it's a thing that can remain buried forever and we can just you know have that be a thing but like almost almost not knowing what kind of thing you're breeding what kind of future you're breeding is part of the stress of it all because uh it leaves you in this space of having no ability to even know what the right thing to do is like should i keep coming to family events should i force this conversation to happen? Should I just keep coming and keep my mouth shut? Should I just disappear, you know, from these people's lives? Like there's a, a whole array of potential reactions and like all of them, it's like a giant question mark over like the, the ethical 
you know, evaluation of that particular action. Um, and so it's, uh, it's a hairy one. It is. And I, you know, one of the things that I find both distressing and um, comforting at the same time is the realization that so many of our family members and specifically more ancestors went through some of the same shit, even though we don't like know it or realize it or would generally know it. I mean, like, so, so like there was a conversation I had very recently with a friend of mine who, um, grew up with a Catholic family and after her grandmother's death discovered that her grandmother had always practiced witchcraft. She had been a, um, they were, um, uh, they were Mexican and they, it was like the, the kind of a, um, you know, this and I'm, I'm speaking about something I don't fully understand, so forgive me, but it was, you know, kind of a culmination of indigenous, native and indigenous, um, religious practices, um, that are packaged in a sort of way that we would today re recognize as a form of, 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 uh, kind of generally speaking pagan witchcraft I, I say this generally speaking meaning in the same kind of form of like you know there's a lot of you know, like this the way that christian theology tends to label those types of native and indigenous religions as quote unquote pagan witchcraft um so it's, that's a weird framing of me but it's me discussing this in a way that i don't fully understand she referred to it as a form of witchcraft and had all of her found all of her grandmother's books and found a bunch of this kind of uh you know stuff that yeah her grandmother had spent her whole life believing in this thing and doing and practicing this thing no with nobody outside of probably her grandfather ever knowing it um and probably going through all of this same kind of stuff. Um, and, and that had me diving down a thought well of thinking about how, you know, like, you know, in the beginning of the 20th century, um, socialism and communism were very popular, very widespread uh, political ideals. Um, yet when we look back in our family lines, almost none of us see any of those people. I think often because those people were pushed out of the normalcy and they didn't talk about that and they couldn't talk about that and it didn't fall down through the lines um, because they were living the exact same kind of a way and going through that exact same kind of a thing. And I find that both distressing and comforting at the same time. And I'm very grateful that in a lot of ways um, I find myself no generations removed from that. Um, my mother was is a practicing witch and has been now for some time and has been um it, she spent much of her life in that same situation with all of her family but is now just living her own life and is herself and to fuck what anybody thinks and i am able to do much of the same because of that um, and I'm able to do it in a way that I don't have, you know, I'm able to have conversations with my parents. Um, I'm, my grandkids are going to be able to have, or my parent, or sorry, my kids are going to be able to have conversations with their grandparents and their kids. I still, like, there's still a lot of extended family that I don't have. Uh, that, but I also have never like that, that weight isn't on me because it was my mom who like initially was kind of the going through all of that and now i'm like one step removed and it's just like well we don't talk to thomas because his mother was you know so and so 
um, which is, again, extremely, well, obviously comforting in that I don't go through that emo emotional work. I don't go through that emotional turmoil, but it's also very distressing because I know that my mother did go through it. Um, so, yeah, it's a lot. So, yeah. yeah. Well, so to <clears throat> sort of put a cap on it, I think, like, by far that was the hardest bit. But, you know, the journey is both not over at that point and is still uh, ongoing today. I feel pretty comfortable in my current position in the sense of like, um, you know, certainly if anyone wanted to have that discussion and wanted to do it in a way that wasn't going to, you know, be extremely high stakes, I'm more than happy to have the theism, atheism discussion or whatever as long as both parties are like into it, you know, like, you know, like I've had that discussion with several people who are into it and like, that, it's fun. It's, it's a enjoyable sort of back and forth discussion, you know, um, it's like nerd chess or whatever. <laughs> nerd chess is a weird way of saying that. Cause it's like chess is a nerdy thing, uh, nerd karate, I guess. But like, anyway, um, <clears throat> the, uh, uh, you know, doing logic and, and stuff like that but in philosophy, but um, like, you know, I, I don't consider myself settled, I guess is what I'm ultimately meaning by that. Um, but, you know, ultimately like that cascade happened for me and it was extremely emotional, it has ongoing effects, um, you know, and, um, I wouldn't have done it any other way. Uh, there are certainly things I would I would like to have changed about the way that I handled it, like you know, with the hindsight and the wisdom and knowledge I've gained in the years since I went through all that. But the you know fundamental thing is like w the place that I arrived in ultimately was I made I lost some connections, some relationships became strained, some relationships improved. I made new friends, new places. I got into like atheist communities for a while fell out of those because they kind of got like uh this is like in the like mid teen mid 20 teens atheist community went through a kind of weird schism between like the sort of like alt-right gamergate type people and like um you know the more progressive types um and I kind of got off put by a lot of the uh it became very clear that you just can't uh, can't so easily make a community out of people who all share a lack of a belief in a thing um there's just not enough unifying things there but you know that led me to seek out other types of communities of meaningfulness and you know ultimately um getting into um um you know trying to look at you know making you know, effective political change and eventually like, you know, doing, meeting a lot of people through the Bernie Sanders campaign who, um, you know, ended up being the foundation of the organization that, you know, I'm still running today that we've talked about before, Writer Collective. Um, and now like we have this like incredible community of, of, you know, people who are tied together in pursuit of, you know, justice and equity and that kind of thing. And that's an extremely comforting place to be. And yeah, you know, as with any community of a lot of people, um, there's 
sometimes interpersonal struggles. And there's sometimes like figuring out, you know, how we're going to, you know, moderate and 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 shape our community to be productive and good and a safe place to be and all that stuff. Um, it's certainly not without its own struggles, but um, I'm very happy that this is that that journey has led me to this space because like I do feel like um, you know me coming out of evangelical Christianity was the first step in a series of understandings of changes in my viewpoint in the world because another thing that was going on uh, sort of in parallel with this was at the time I was kind of like at the time I was an evangelical Christian near the end of that period it was like you know kind of like libertarian sort of pseudo right centristy type of thing uh neoliberal you know whatever words you want to put on it but like and that was a journey that was sort of like um tied in with some of that you know like you know you pull up a tree and then you realize like it like pulling up that tree and taking the roots out and you realize like oh there's another like the, these roots are attached with other roots that are attached to this other tree oh wait oh this is my political beliefs okay i guess this affects this and you're having to figure out how you're gonna change you know to you know i'm kind of weird in that like i had this like bug in my head that like if i noticed like a an inconsistency a seeming inconsistency that i can't explain i feel it's like need to like dig in and uh, correct it uh <laughs> um but um anyway point being like that that journey led me to a place that i'm a lot better in in general like um it's been um um you know my 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 experience with my parents was really um negative but my and my experience with my wife's parents was initially very negative but then came into a place where it was actually very positive it led them to look into and question some things and they are they're still christians but they came into like what I would, I would personally consider a much better version of that in which like our relationship is fantastic. And it doesn't like, they're not upset that we don't believe that stuff. And, you know, like we even like my wife and I even go to a church uh, for the community participation and for the, you know, the fact that I wanted my kids to be exposed to some kind of religious thing that was not uh, some Baptist kid telling them that they were going to hell for the first time. Um, and so, you know, it, I ultimately, I guess what I'm getting at for this, like in our last segment is, you know, the cascade can't go through. And I do think for some people that ends up being weighted more in the negative and the positive. For me, it didn't end up that way. For me, it was, I would say it was more positive than negative. Um, I wouldn't, you know, necessarily prescribe it to any individual, you know, everyone knows what their own life's limitations are. But I can say like, I can also say like, there was no way I was going to get a full scope of the the way in which it would affect my life before taking the leap in some ways. Um, I didn't take the leap because I, you know, looked at, evaluated my life. And I was like, okay, well, it's going to affect, the, you know, these five things. And like, it's going to change this way. I'm going to have this argument, you know, like exploring some decision tree or whatever. It was just like, um it's like almost a compulsion i couldn't help myself i had to i had to know like i couldn't what, something i knew about myself is that i wouldn't be able to live um not having that happen uh and so 
it was a lot of pain, but uh, also big burdens off my shoulders. Like I don't have to be anything but who I actually am. And so I'm, I'm happy for it. Um, but it's still a hard thing to wrestle with sometimes not, not, you know, I'm fairly confident in my position or whatever, but it emotionally is, um, still kind of a mound of, of feelings that, you know, slowly processing it over time, slowly figuring out what to do about it. And also slowly adding to it. <laughs> not sure, not sure if the rate of processing the feelings is exceeding the rate of adding things to it or not. Uh, I suppose I'll figure that out at some point. But um, um, I certainly wouldn't go back and not and, and, and go back into the closet, as it were. Um, if I had the option to do so. Um, there's well, a there's a freedom in being able to be your authentic self to the majority of the world. My mom refers to it for herself as coming out of the broom closet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that atheists have a uh, have a uh, <laughs> spiritual attachment to brooms in the same way that witches do, but um, uh, I tried very desperately to figure out some you know, <laughs> something witty closet or like I don't know. I couldn't think of anything clever, so you know we're just. I, I leave it as an exercise to the audience to imagine a clever version <laughs> of closet for atheists that um, and and uh, let me know and then I'll um, convince myself that I thought of that all along and uh, <laughs> am very smart and clever and funny and everyone loves me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, next week we'll come back and let's talk about how I uh, was and then was not a Buddhist. Um, that is, that will be my, um, end of this discussion, uh, my side of, uh, yeah, my element, like my version of this discussion, it's very different, but uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Thank you for sharing today. Um, yeah. Uh, this is soup. I think there's a lot of valuable stuff. I mean, there's a lot that like, I'm, I've had a lot of little brain moments here today while we've been talking. And I know while I go through editing, I'm going to have even more and then come back next week wanting to talk about more of this. Uh, I think it's super valuable. And I think one of the things that I really, and real quickly before we end the episode, one of the things that I think was super valuable is, uh, the description of how you and your wife work together as a team to deal with this, which is, I want to do a whole episode about teamwork and in relationships and marriages, but that was working as a team on an ideological construct. And that is fantastic. That's yeah, a thing. It was hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a very emotional, you know, I, I didn't get too deep into it, but that, that aspect of it involved a lot of emotional. There was, there was one point I kind of had to force it a little bit because it was clear that it was like becoming one of these things that was getting, put on the back burner in a you know one of those like unhealth potentially unhealthy ways i was like no no we can't just let this like sit in the background forever we gotta if we if we're gonna resolve to do it we gotta resolve to do it type of thing but um you know i hope that whoever you know listens to this finds something valuable in it um i tried to you know focus it mostly on you know kind of the feelings and the struggles and the um experience of it rather than you know the um 
what I guess what I'm saying is like I'm hoping that if if your reaction to this was, um, oh well, you probably didn't consider this apologetic argument. Uh, suffice it to say, like um, that's a conversation I'm willing to have, but uh, isn't really the point of this episode. The the point was to be a sort of exercise in vulnerability of like being honest, being open about how I felt about things that are very personal to me and involve a lot of um, potential for um, uh, like emotional struggle or harm. Uh, uh, my hope is that in expressing that, uh, expressing what that journey was like for me, um, that someone will have uh, something in it that helps them feel or process their feelings around something similar that they're going through. Um, and, you know, just know that I know that my journey is not unique other, like in the sense of like, there's plenty of other atheists or even, you know, you know, you've even talked about, you know, so, uh, things in your life that have rhymed with the, the things that we've talked about today. And my hope is that, um, you know, like you said, you have some little brain hiccups that you know are interesting things to think about i i hope that that uh listeners have a similar reaction um my point my goal of this isn't to like convince you to not be religious or anyone to not be religious or anything it's mostly just to share an experience and and hope that there's something that you find valuable in it Agreed, 100%. Thank you for joining. Uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you all for joining us. Um, as always, um, if you want to support the work that we do, uh, follow Red. Uh, go to patreon.com backslash Red Dirt Collective. Just, uh, I, I looked this up, by the way. It's actually just slash. Backslash oh. is the opposite character. Okay. That's so. not correct for URLs. So it's just patreon.com slash Red Dirt Collective. Okay. Um, uh, so yeah, go there, uh, uh, help us out, um, find us anywhere on social media. Um, yeah, support Red Dirt Collective, support organizing efforts in your community, support uh, union organizing efforts in your community. Um, solidarity. Thank you all for joining us. Have a wonderful afternoon, evening, morning, or any other time of day. Thank you.